everybody. All right, so as Anderson mentioned, we are in a series through the book of John, and the theme of the book of John is that you may believe. Uh, that theme comes from the author himself at the end of the chapter where he communicates to those that are reading that this book was written so that you might believe or may believe that Jesus is who he says he is. He is the Christ. And that through believing that, it may impact your life. That you may have life that he is intending for you, but through his name. And as you read through the chapter of John, you will observe Jesus encountering different individuals that represents different backgrounds, uh, life situations, and through these encounters, you have an amazing opportunity to observe the creator of the universe who came in human form to interact with individuals so that you and I can get a glimpse into God's heart and relate it to you and I, those of us who have different backgrounds and circumstances and situations. Today, we will observe an amazing encounter by our Lord and Savior with a very, very interesting woman. A woman that many of us can relate to. It's God's design to have this encounter so that it can be revealed to you and I the depths of God's love for you. We see a woman who has a thirsty soul. She has a thirsty soul, and it is revealed through this encounter that she has a life that has not been satisfied. She has been looking for things to fill that void in her life and her heart, and she has not been able to find it. And Jesus pushes on that pain. He reveals it. He brings it to the surface so that he can make her aware that God knows your pain. The situations in her life not only left her not satisfied, but often left her empty. Continuing to go back over and over again to the same things that she thinks will fill the void in her soul, but it only leaves her empty. In John chapter 4, we will start off in verse 7. And we will read verses 7 through 14, or rather through 12, but we will go all the way through verses 26. 
Opening up in verse 7, we see that there's a woman from Samaria that came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away, the author highlights, into the city to buy food. So we see here in these two verses that Jesus is encountering the woman, but the disciples are not around. He's by himself. It's Jesus and just her. When God really wants to get your attention, it'll come down to just you and him. At the end of the day, when it's all said and done, when you really, really, really been all churched out, as the song says, you've been going to church and you've been seeking for God and you've been trying to ask other people to help you, but can't nobody help you. The religious folks can't help you. The church building that you've been going to, it just ain't doing the job. You all churched out. And it just comes down to you and Jesus. And God knows that. So he sets up a situation where you must encounter him and deal with just you and him. Anybody thirsty this morning? I know some of y'all from Chicago, that's kind of a popular modern phrase. You know what it means when folks thirsty. Look at your neighbor and say, you thirsty. People that know you know you thirsty. You got issues. And you trying to get them to help you, but at the end of the day, you realize and they realize. They just throw their hands up. I can't help you. You need Jesus. And he knows it. So he encounters this woman knowing her need, and he don't want the disciples around to distract the situation, to get all their opinions and all their correct theological information and all their social things that they have in their minds, their barriers that would get in the way from the interaction with this woman. Because it's mentioned several times that this is a woman from Samaria, and she even says, and she's going to say, you're going to see to Jesus, why are you talking to me? I'm a woman of Samaria. There's all these barriers that get in the way that keep you and I from encountering Jesus the way he wants us to. The woman in Samaria, verse 8, says to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And the author makes it clear, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, if only you knew, and if you understood who it is that's saying it to you, that it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, Two things would have happened. You would have asked him, and he will not deny you. He's going to give you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing here to draw with, and the well is deep. 
I don't know what you're talking about, she's saying. Where are you going to get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did some, as did his sons and his livestock. I'm going to go on to verse 13. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Again, it is very, very important to understand as Jesus encounters this woman that the God of the universe wants you and I to know that he wants to take down any of the barriers for you to encounter him or for us to be used to encounter others. This story is for you and I, but it's also to teach you and I principles of encountering other folks. See, Samaritans and Jews had a very deep-rooted ethnic and racial divide. It was deep. They hated one another. To be associated with a, a Samaritan as a Jew was something that you didn't even want to do. You didn't even want to drink from a cup that they drank from. So she says to Jesus, how is it that you, a Jew, you're going to actually drink after me? You're asking me for a drink? And Jesus is like, yeah. Because I want you to know right off the bat, I'm just going to break all the disconnects in your perceptions down. I'm going to ask you for a drink, me, a Jew. So we get those ethnic divides out the way. That is one of the first things God wants the church to do, wants Radius to do. He wants us to be the example to the rest of the world. We can't change what's in the White House, but we can change what's in our house. And we can change together what's in the church house. If you look around to the grace of God and the diversity he continues to bring through Radius on the foundation of Christ, there's a great opportunity for us to make a great impact and be an example of what it looks like when God's people are unified. But yet the church keeps missing this very, very important principle that Jesus himself continually to make clear. We are not going to have these barriers through ethnicity and through gender and through class. Not only was she a Samaritan woman, but she did not have a good reputation is we gonna find out. And Jesus wanted to get that right out the way because when you minister to people, we've said this before, but you're gonna continue to come across it. They feel like if they step into the church, it's gonna burn down, or they feel like they just ain't ready. When the reality is none of us are ready. If Jesus waited until everybody was ready to encounter them, there would never be an encounter. So the message to you, the message to those you're ministering to, you want to make sure that they don't get the wrong idea about Christianity. The idea is that God wants to meet you where you're at, but he loves you too much to keep you that way, but he's going to first meet you where you're at. Don't allow yourself to be beat down 
by your own mistakes and think that you can't come to Jesus, you can't come to church, you can't fellowship with God's people because the idea is that Jesus is a physician. This is the hospital, as we all know, and the idea is to help you. So Jesus wanted to get all that out the way, and when you show people these verses, it's very, very important that you show them this encounter so that they get it right, so that they don't keep thinking, man, I am ready. God knows where you are. So once Jesus got all that out the way, then he goes on to what's really, really important, what's next. Because once we build that relationship with them, once we allow folks to know it ain't about race, ethnicity, we're unified, then you can't just stay there. We can't just keep focusing on social issues only. We have to get people to the point where we connect them to the Savior who can really give them what they need. See, folks gonna come to Jesus because of what they want. And that's, and that's okay. They got problems, they got issues. We have race relations issues. But what happens is what they really, really need, the hole in their soul, what keeps making them thirsty, if you don't deal with that, they're going to keep having the other problems. Because what God wants to do for them is give them what they need, and that is to deal with the issues of their soul. So Jesus says this. He says, woman, verse 10, if you knew the gift of God, that's the first thing you got to know, that there's a gift, there's something God wants to give to you that we have to focus on because it's something that you need that you don't realize is the most important aspect of your life that you need to deal with. Then he says you need to figure out who it is that's going to give it to you. You need to know who I am. A lot of people, surprisingly, even today in 2019 when we got so much Bible, most folks still don't get who Jesus is. Some folks do. Okay, he's God. On the surface, they'll think that. But a lot of folks will just look at him as a good moral teacher who they can learn from. But you really, and Jesus really wanted her to know, and he's going to lay this out, I am not just a good moral teacher. I'm the person you need to go to to fill the void, the hole in your soul. A regular moral teacher or just a good teacher don't use language like this. If a regular person who was just a good person used the language that Jesus used, the problem with that person is that they are a false teacher and you need to run away. You hear all the time people have an opinion about Jesus. But if they actually read what he's saying, you can't have a mere man saying these kinds of things because if he is saying these things and if he's not who he says he is, it is a he's a false teacher and it's a false religion. You can't have it both ways. So Jesus is saying to her, you need to know the gift and you need to know who it is that you're talking to. And at the end of his encounter to her, amazingly, here's a woman that's from the street, as Anderson says, straight hood, Ghetto actually comes from the Jewish culture. Jewish and Samaritans are part Jewish, by the way. They're a mixed breed, a mixed race. They originated the term hood ghetto. That's where our people get it from. When I say our people, folks from the hood, <laughs> just leave it at that. 
And so God revealed, Jesus literally looked at this woman, we'll see later in verse 26, and said to her, I am the Messiah that this Bible has been talking about. He had said that to nobody else. He directly looked at her and says, I'm God. That showed his heart and his love through this woman to you and me, where he ain't even hiding it. He's just saying it straight. So two things that you need to get to people that they need to know. They need to know there's a gift that they need, and they need to know who he is. And then Jesus, in the interaction with the woman, keeps going. Verse 11. The woman says to him, sir, you do not have a water jar. You have nothing to draw with. And the well is deep. It's about 100 feet deep. You continue to read the story, and you see that she came with a water jar. That's why Jesus said to her, give me a drink. He knew he didn't have nothing to draw with. So he showed up with nothing in his hands, and he's asking her, give me a drink. And so the woman says, how is it that you're going to give me a drink when the well is deep? Where in the world are you going to get this? And where do you get the living water, she says. Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? So the woman references our father Jacob, and for those of you theologians there, this is another confirmation that the Samaritan people associated themselves with Jacob, who is the father, one of the ancestors of the Jews. And so the Samaritans also believed in the Old Testament scriptures. She looked at Jesus and says, are you greater than Jacob? And Jesus is trying to get her to say, woman, you have no idea who you're talking to. I am not just Jacob or a prophet or a mere man. Okay? So they got that straight. Then Jesus says to her, Whoever drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him or her a spring of water welling up to eternal Notice again, Jesus is saying stuff that a mere man or woman shouldn't just say. This living water woman that I'm talking about, I'm going to give it to you. So when you're reading the Bible with your friends and you're trying to share it with them, let them really look at these verses and let it sink in that Jesus is saying these things because he's trying to say he's more than a man. And you can't come to God unless you go through Christ. He has to give you this living water to fulfill the desires of your soul. So what Jesus is about to do here is he is going to use her physical need and desires to teach her a spiritual lesson. Because you always start where people can get it. But even then, they won't get it. So it'll take a little time, sharing it with them, let it process it, praying for them so the Spirit of God can make it clear to them. 
So here's what happens. Verse 16. Jesus touched on a sensitive issue. He says, go call your husband. Uh Uh-oh. You went from talking about water to getting in my business. And come here. Go get him. And then when you get him, come back and we'll talk about this water thing. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, girlfriend, you ain't never lied. You know how we say to people, some of y'all that have been there, you start asking questions because you're trying to get people to see that they got an issue, that they thirsty. And then when they really come to that conclusion, it's an aha moment, you'd be like, there it is, there it is, boy. there it is, dog, there it is, girl, you ain't never lied. He says, you are right, you have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is the truth. How you go from talking about water to getting in my business? Jesus is trying to teach her this valuable lesson before he goes on to talk about what he's really getting to. In order to satisfy your thirst, your physical thirst, woman, you have to keep going back to this same well in order to be satisfied. He's teaching her that you are looking for satisfaction in things that will never fulfill you. Let me say that again. She, me, us, we look for satisfaction in things that will never fulfill us. It keeps us thirsty and empty and we keep having to go back to that same well, that same drink, that same person that we think are going to fulfill us, and it never does. And what will happen is, even when we know it, it's in our soul, God is trying to tell us, we think it's actually going to be different when we go to the next person or the next thing. Just like one drink can't satisfy you, no one person or thing, nothing in this earth can satisfy the hole in your soul that you and God knows that you have. But it's a painful, it's a painful sore spot, and we don't want to touch it. See, Jesus went from water to the real issue. Go get your husband. I'm going to touch on this painful issue, the reason why you're really thirsty. Because you're trying to get satisfaction in relationships that only the person standing here can give you. The reality is, even most of us know this, that's wise and mature enough, that even when you get that thing that you keep searching for on this earth to fulfill your soul, what you find up, what you end up realizing is it still don't satisfy. You get that new car, it wears out, you ain't happy. You thought it was going to fill that soul, you put all your energy. You get that new house, and then just like a very famous rich man, Steve Jobs, you come to the end of your life, you've had all the riches, all the money that all of us are searching after, and a guy like that says that, I'm empty. I'm on my deathbed, and I've realized there's something missing. Jesus is trying to explain to her in verse, when he's speaking to her, In verse 14, he 
He says, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. Then he goes on to say what he's talking about. How is it that I, you can get something from Jesus where you'll never be thirsty again? He says, the water that I give him or her will become in this person a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Okay. What Jesus is saying and what I'm about to emphasize is becoming, in modern terms, what people say is not the sexy, it's not sexy, meaning it's not popular. When you talk about eternal life, people don't want to focus on that. They want to focus on this life. I got problems. I got issues. What does it have to do with the price of tomatoes? They don't value eternal life until they come to the end of this life and realize I'm thirsty. But if you wait till the end of this life, they may not wake up tomorrow. And this life won't matter. The first thing we have to deal with with people is the longevity of their life because if they don't deal with that when they pass from this life, nothing they've done here will matter. Jesus says nothing in this life will satisfy. It's because this life, this world that we live in, it is messed up. So what God knows and what Jesus is trying to reveal to you and what you have to keep through relationships encouraging your loved ones your friends, is that anything in this life, all the problems, they're going to keep coming. I don't care how much prosperity preaching you get. I don't care how much hype up you get. When you come back to church the next week, it's still going to be problems. Because the reality is that stuff is fake satisfaction. It is not real. People got to tell you the truth. God wants you to have things. But they will not fulfill you because this world is messed up. It's not meant to. We live in a sin-sick world and no physical things in this life will satisfy you. You need to make sure that when you die from this messed up world, you're going to be with him. That's the most important thing we got to deal with. If you don't do that, what will happen is they're going to think that what Jesus is saying is that they won't have no problems in this life. You will give them a false idea of Christianity. That, yeah, they hype in public, but they know they sick in their soul in private because they've been pumped up about God giving them things, but they have never been taught that they need to deal with the hole in their soul through the truth of the gospel so that they can receive God's spirit. Then here's the cool thing about eternal life. The cool thing about eternal life is once you understand through Jesus and your loved ones and you out there that you have security that when this life is over, you're going to be with God. And a lot of us think about that. They think about death and what's going to happen. And so once that's taken care of, the cool thing about eternal life is Revelation 21.4. Once you are with God in eternity, then the quality of life is like we've never imagined in what we seek for now. No more crying. No more tears. No more pain. How many of you keep seeking for that? You don't want drama, but drama keeps finding you. Guarantee you that will happen to the day you die in this life. Christian folks going to make you mad. 
family, friends going to get on your nerves. They're going to keep draining you. The same folks that you are trying to get satisfaction from is the same folks going to drain it from you. Because they can't satisfy and you should stop depending upon them to do it for you. When you give your life to Christ, you not only get a future of eternal life, but you get a future of a quality of life that we're all seeking for in this life. And it's not going to happen in this life. No matter what God does for you now, and he does want to do things for you, it's still temporary. You're still going to be sick in your soul if your relationship with Christ ain't right. Okay. So Jesus is trying to teach her that, trying to teach you that. Okay. Okay, we down to the second half, getting down to the end of some cool stuff. Jesus is saying, <laughs> Jesus tells her to go get her husband like we talked about. Verse 16, gets in her business. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus wanted to reveal to her about her five husbands that you keep trying to find satisfaction in these people in this situation despite the dysfunction. We get so thirsty for acceptance and for trying to find acceptance in people that even though it's not good for us, we will still go with it. We will compromise. We will settle for less. This woman dealt with the dysfunction of all those husbands. Despite over and over again, the dysfunction of those relationships. And then he says, the relationship you in now, that ain't even your husband. You went from marriage to you said, I ain't getting married no more. I'm just going to live with him. Because I've been burnt. I've been hurt but I still need to hang on to that relationship. You become addicted and dependent on dysfunction. See, when you've been burned and you've been hurt so much and then it becomes a drug. Getting a little psychology on y'all. Most of y'all know this. You in it right now, but you're like, how do I get out of it? We are willing so willing to not be healthy alone and with God that we will just accept improper relationships. <laughs> Jesus is saying to you, is saying to her, I also want to deal with that situation. Because I want you to know that what's happening to you, I know what's happening. I know it's dysfunctional. And I want you to know that when you give your life to me, you have to deal with that issue. So what does the woman do? What's her response? Her response is typical. Same then as it is today. She wants to talk religion. She skips the issue. People cool to debate religion with you. Don't talk about my situation. But we could talk about churches and where you worship all day. So here she goes. She says, Sir, I recognize that you're one of these prophets that read my mail. Okay? <laughs> the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Prophet. You know, them prophets, they talking, 
You know they talking about you. They call you by name. They all in your Kool-Aid. A, a great man or woman of God probably do have some insight. Some of them, they probably talk to your friend before church or whatever. They just know. Who, you know, never know. Got to be careful of these, what they call prophet liars. But Jesus, the real deal, he ain't more than a prophet, but he read her mail and she all hyped up now. She ready to talk religion, but she don't want to deal with her issues. She says, y'all say, she says, our fathers say you should worship on this mountain, but you Jews say in Jerusalem is where you ought to worship, is the place people ought to worship. So let's debate religion. Let's debate which church you all will go to, which location. I ain't really trying to go to y'all church. I'm going to this church, but I'm really not connected with Jesus. It's just I'm connected to a religious system in an environment that I'm comfortable with. But it really ain't personal. It really don't make a difference or a change. Jesus, as he's awesome at doing, he cuts right through the mess. I can say BS. Hopefully kids don't know what that means. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, number one, the hour is coming where it ain't about location or denomination or all this stuff you trying to make it out to be. Because you trying to talk about something that I'm not talking about. I'm trying to come here and talk about me and you and your real need for a savior. And when she finally figures it out, she goes and tells them about Jesus, not Jerusalem, not Mount Zion, not this church or that church. She says, I'm going to tell you about the man that told me everything I need to know. This is the Messiah. So when you lead that person to Jesus, then their focus changes and they realize it's about their life with Jesus and serving him and not about a building or a location or a denomination. They influence the denomination. They are not about trying to say, oh, it's what you can do for me in a preference. But that's something else. But it's connected. Okay. So Jesus said to her, the hour is coming. We're on this mountain or in Jerusalem where you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is of the Jews. The one thing that Jesus does do, though, after he tells us it's not about location, is he does make something clear to her. Woman, you worship, you are religious, but it's improper. It's without knowledge. He does make it clear that God chose the Jewish people to reveal salvation. So he says it's not about location. It's not about a group of people. However, let me just make one thing clear. God revealed himself to a particular group of people. Salvation is through the Jews, not white Europeans, not Americans. Originally, Old Testament, the Jewish people, not a white man's religion. So it was through a group of people for a purpose. God used them, chose Abraham, and through Abraham, God would reveal himself. So he got that right with her, because some people will debate you about religion, location, Muslims, all of these types of things, but Jesus says, it's really about me and that I'm God. It's not about all that y'all make it, just emphasizing that again. So when you're talking to people of different ethnic, ethnicities, different backgrounds, different religions, you want to get them to Jesus and get them out of their religious influence. 
and help them understand that they have an issue in their soul. Okay. So Jesus says something amazing and interesting, and we won't be able to really get into detail about this because of time, but we'll highlight some things. Okay. He says, the hour, verse 23, is coming and is now here because I'm here. That the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. All right, people, hang in there and listen to me here. Jesus three times emphasized to this woman that God is a father. He says the hour is here where it won't be about location. It'll be about relationship with a God who is actually personal. When Jesus goes on to talk about spirit and truth, there's a lot to that statement, but the context and the flow of where he's going is the first thing you need to understand about our God is that it's his relationship with you that is important. It's not your neighbor or the person next to you where you looking like you got religion. God is looking at you and he wants you to know that he is personally interested in you. It's you and him and he's a loving father. When he goes on to say in verse 24 that God is spirit, he's saying that when God of the universe, he's not only immaterial, but that word spirit is the same word as heart. The word spirit that people and that people articulate as Holy Spirit quite often is heart. But what God does and what Jesus does is he expands that to how the Holy Spirit needs to touch the heart. So, so hang in there. I'm going to try to make this clear. Jesus is saying to you, he's saying to people, that when people start to focus on the outward in buildings and things like that, they miss the fact that God wants to deal with their heart and he is an invisible God who will you have to worship him through your invisible part, your soul. What are you really committed to? Who are you really committed to? Are you committed to that person in your life that keeps running you dry? Or are you really going to worship, truly worship the father who loves you from your heart? Because God is a God of heart, not just ceremonies. You can show up and you can seem like you're worshiping. That's the difference between spirit and truth is you can seem like you have the right location and the right information, but the question is, does God have your heart? And he says, it's not about coming here. You don't have to just come to Radius or church. It should be, you should be worshiping the Father wherever you go because it's just a connection between you and him. And when you come here, your relationship with him flows out at a building where a lot of other people love the Lord as well. Okay. So, he makes it clear, though, in John 7. Go to John 7. It's a cross-reference. That he connects this also to God's Spirit, to the Holy Spirit, who gives you the ability to transform your heart. Some of us have a slight desire or a want to, but we don't have the ability to commit our lives to the Lord. 
So Jesus says like this. He stood up on the last day of the feast, the great day. He stood up and cried out to everyone. And he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to who? Do a normal person just say that? Do a normal prophet just say that? And drink. Whoever believes in me, you commit your life to Jesus. As the scripture says, out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. You commit your life to Jesus, then he will give you the ability to do something you can't do on your own. Now this he said, John helps us out. He gives us a translation about the spirit whom those who believe in him will receive. For as yet the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not died and rose in three days and sent the spirit for the beginning of the church. See, before this, God had restricted it where there was worship in temple areas so that people can learn the lesson that to encounter God was a big thing. But when Jesus came, what God did was amazing. It was no longer restricted to a building, location, special priests. Now you can encounter God on your own without some special priest or man or woman of God. So anybody who you are worshiping as a man or woman of God and depending upon them, depending upon a just church only, depending upon a service, you are missing the fact that you can know God for yourself. All right. We commit our lives to things or people who don't fill us. There's fake news and there's also fake fulfillment. Some of us, we have to be careful about finding purpose in this life, in things of this life, without the guarantee of eternal life. Jesus wants to make sure two things take place, that you find fulfillment in him for this life, but what you don't do is forget him and find fulfillment in a career, in other people, and then you also find fake fulfillment. You keep filling up your soul with other things that are not Christ, and then you don't get that guarantee of that eternal life. Here's what I pray that will happen to you. Verse 42 of John chapter 4, when the woman at the well had went and she ministered to the people, they said to her, or the scripture says, verse 41, many believe because of his word, or be, many, many more believe because of his word. But then they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. It is because we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. Look at your neighbor now and say, are you thirsty? We know you thirsty, but you got to know you thirsty. My prayer and my heart for each and every one of you is that not just because of my word and for your loved ones, it's not just because of your words, but they need to know for themselves that Jesus truly is the savior of not only the world, but of their personal soul. Last thing, Radius Church, Anderson mentioned something that's very, very important. We here at Radius are privileged, Radius and the Dream Center, because 
God truly is with this ministry. I know he wants to do great things. This is not my ministry, the worship team's ministry, all of it. This is God's ministry, and I know he wants to do something with it. The things that have happened behind the scenes, you know this is God's. No other explanation. But God is still calling some people to realize that we are not here at Radius just to have a, a church in a building. We are here for a mission to impact lives, and, it's, and it can start with you. If God is moving on your heart, and we keep praying that he is, that you are called to this ministry, what will happen is when you commit your life, God will fill your soul with purpose in this life for his glory, and if you commit to it, he will build you up in all those dreams and hopes you have once you make put him first. I am not necessarily guaranteeing like a real prophet, but I'm confident through the spirit of the Lord and what he's putting in my soul that those that commit to this, God will look out for them and he will build you up and we will together build you up. And then what will happen is we'll keep reaching other folks. But the difference between us is we won't just focus on helping people physically for this life because we will. Jesus said to the, to the people in the crowd, I'm the bread of life. But then he told the disciples, give them bread. So we're going to give people bread. We're going to help them out, careers, things they need to focus on to get their lives right, counseling, whatever, physically. But then we're going to introduce them to the bread of life. That's the difference. So I pray that God moves on your soul, that if you're just coming here, that God moves on you to also serve with us. Because if you do that, he will give you and fill you up that desire that you know is missing because you're supposed to be serving. Pray that for your thirsty soul, you allow Jesus to fill it up.